Good afternoon, everyone. You're listening to WCCS Wheaton College Radio, and welcome back to the Cod Cabin, the only Massachusetts podcast show where you can find Wall of the Green Monster just chilling out, eating some baked beans, and listening to us for talk about Massachusetts politics. I'm Adam Bass, and joining me as always is Jesse Hahn, Jack, Jack Leary, and Logan Robb. And today, we're going to be talking about our predictions for the upcoming primary race. For those who don't know, the primary in Massachusetts is on the 1st. That is three days away. And we will be covering it on WCCS Week in College Radio on September 1st, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So with that out of the way, let's talk about it, guys. Um, we're going to start off with you, Jesse. Uh, your your uh, thoughts on the races. Uh, let's start off with Massachusetts Senate because that's the one that everyone seems to be talking about. Yeah, sure. This is, you know, this is the elephant in the room. This is the one that's going to drive people to the polls. This is the one that people are really paying attention to. Um, I think in recent days, we've seen uh, a decent flurry of polls that um, seem to show Ed Markey with a consistent lead, um, a, a pretty a pretty solid lead, uh, most of them out of the margin of error. I think general consensus is that, you know, he's probably going to win. Uh, but of course, in the year 2020, in, uh, with so many unknowns in this atmosphere with mail-in voting, I think, you know, a Kennedy win is possible. But you know, three months ago, we said that Markey probably uh, was needed a miracle to win, and that miracle has happened, and he looks to be in a really good spot right now. I mean, I don't know if it's as much as a miracle as uh, Kennedy misplaying his hand, in my opinion. Um, I mean, I guess you could say it's a miracle. Um, but to me, I think the biggest problem with Kennedy right now is that, uh, number one, he hasn't really formulated an argument of why he should replace Markey. And number two, his attitude has really shown some offsetting characteristics, to be put it bluntly. Um, we saw that with his reaction to not getting the Globe endorsement, uh, the quote-unquote bullying from Markey supporters online. That hasn't really struck any sort of tone with many Massachusetts voters, as polls might show. Um, so yeah, I think uh, Kennedy might be his own undoing, at least for now. I don't think that uh, that Kennedy has ran a phenomenal campaign, but I think that the the drive behind this huge shift in the polls for Markey has really been a result of Markey doing a great job practically reinventing himself. You know, he went from a pretty unknown senator, relatively, you know, even in Massachusetts and nationally, to a progressive icon in the span of a few short months. And I, I don't think that just anyone could do that. And I, I think that that has moved the needle a lot more than the occasional Kennedy misstep. Right. And I think we've seen that in the polls as well. I saw early on Twitter today, someone pointed out that the, Kennedy has stayed around like low 40s this entire time, while Markey's really been the one gaining as he's gone from probably like high 30s up to over 50% now in, in several polls. So I think it's a lot of Markey... Markey's campaign doing a good job appealing to undecided voters and Kennedy not really giving a uh, uh, strong reason of why he's challenging Markey. Yeah, Yeah, but um, I also think that, oh, go on, Jesse. All right, all right. Um, You know, I think Kennedy not giving a reason, I think might be a little bit overstated in my opinion. I think what he needed to do to overcome that was literally to commit character assassination while people didn't know who Markey was. 
and you know he didn't go negative at all. He thought he could went go po- be positive, uh, you know, probably go nice on Marky since he was gonna oust him in such an uh, uh, unconventional manner. And you know he decided, you know, I'll be nice on him, and you know that didn't work out. And Marky came out, and Marky shook hands. Well, maybe he's not bumping, bumping elbows, and he's really turned his um, image around, as Jack said, I think. Yeah, but I honestly think that wouldn't have happened if the spotlight wasn't shown on him. Um, for me, when you look at these incumbent challenge campaigns, uh, such as Ellie Engel and um, uh, Lucy Clay, uh, Representative Clay from Missouri won, you, you had a light shown on them that was negative, as Jesse said. But when Kennedy shone the light on Markey and put him in the spotlight, it came out more positive, as Jack said. So I do think it also has to do with a misplay by Kennedy, as well as a reinvented by Markey. I mean, I, I feel like there's a uh, also a pretty substantial difference there, where at least to an extent, you know, both incumbents were relatively controversial, if not in terms of their politics relative to the districts that they represented leans. Uh, you know, Elliot Engel had his comments about, if I didn't have a primary, I wouldn't care. Uh, and Lacey Clay had that one mailer uh, where he darkened Cory Bush's skin. He had those comments making fun of her for being evicted. Um, I think that it was, you, you don't have that with Ed Markey. You know, he, he was a backbencher and that was really his worst crime and his biggest issue, but, but he overcame that quite well. It's not like he had any sort of scandal or misstep that he really had to overcome. Yeah. I mean, again, as you said, Jack, he really transformed himself from a backbencher into someone who can take the public stage. So I want to move on to our quote-unquote rating for this race. Um, I have it as Lee Markey. There are times where I want to put it as like Lee Markey, just due to how bad it's looking for Kennedy. But right now it's Lee Markey. I say he wins by about three to five points. Um, Let's go in order. Uh, Logan, where do you see this race is right now? Honestly, I see it as likely Marky. There's been so much really? pulling, yeah, so much pulling data from people I've talked to. It just seems like I don't know where Kennedy's going to make up the gap here. Uh, Marky just seems such such like a non-controversial incumbent that I don't see uh, enough people turning out or enough people voting against him. I think we see this in the polls as well, where Marky has sky high favorabilities among Democrats. Well, Kennedy, not quite as good. So I think it's, at this point, it's likely Markey. I I would say lean Markey. I think Markey is in a really great position right now. It's just that there's a lot of uncertainty uh, with, as you said, you know, the pandemic and mail-in voting. Yeah, just as Jack said, with the pandemic and mail-in voting, um, I'm hesitant to move it to likely Markey. I'll keep it at lean Markey for now. And I think Kennedy has a path to victory if he turns out uh, the voters in gateway cities like gangbusters, but I really don't think he can do that. And, you know, maybe there's a one or 2% chance he can do that, but you know, that's a miracle territory. You know, I think uh, you can tell if he's in trouble, if uh, Marky does as well, or keeps him on his toes in those cities on election night. So we'll be keeping an eye on that. Um, to, to move on. Uh, or do you guys still want to talk about something in this race as well that I may have forgotten? I don't really have anything to add. I think we can move on. All right. Let's move on out west to probably 
the most controversial primary of this uh, race, and that is the Massachusetts First Congressional District primary. Uh, chair of the over of the uh, Ways and Means Committee, Richard Neal, um, has been challenged by Holyoke Mayor Alex Morse, a rather progressive candidate who challenges Neal on uh, his his ethics as well as his uh, funding from big corporations, as well as donors. And many people within the progressive sector have really taken a, a liking to this race. Um, I think it's a mess in terms of what's going on, especially with all the allegations that has been happened to Morse. Um, if anyone would like to take uh, the, the helm on that, uh, Jack, Logan, one of you guys. Yeah, I'm not really sure those allegations are going to hurt Morse that much. Originally, they were, uh, I don't even think that bad, just like, it's not like he was, a. I didn't think he was abusing power at all in uh, those in those, even in those allegations, but after they were proven to be uh, made up essentially to try and get, trying to get somebody in a Neil internship, I think those, that might've actually helped Morris more than hurt him because it's given Morris name recognition while also not really in a negative light since it's a false scandal. I think Morris has a lot of momentum right now. He's really, he's closed the gap in the polls. Definitely. I feel like it's, it's fairly close right now. And in primary challenges, we, al we also know that challengers tend to overperform their polling numbers. So at this point, I think Neil definitely is in trouble, but he's probably still favored. I think regardless of whether or not Alex Morris is able to make it to the finish line, he definitely has scared the crap out of Richie Neal. Um, you know, the chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, he's a powerful guy and he's been once again, relatively uncontroversial, uh, and this is definitely this is definitely an un, something that would have been unprecedented a few short years ago in terms of how well this challenge has gone. In terms of Morse's scandal, I have read the Intercept articles, I've read the initial reporting, I've read local reporting. I still don't have a particularly strong understanding of whether or not of what actually happened. It's it's that confusing. Um, but I, I feel like the general media narrative has been scandal, vindication, or maybe vindication is not the right word for it. I feel like the general narrative is that Morse didn't actually do anything wrong at second glance. So I, I agree with Logan that overall it was probably good for him and it definitely got his name recognition up. Yeah, I think we talked about this race um, a month or two ago and we said, you know, Morse maybe had a ceiling of what, 30, 35 maybe 40%. And, you know, he's really turned it around, um, you know, ironically, thanks to this scandal. And uh, I, I've read all this stuff. Um, I think the general idea is that they try to set him up to do these things. You know, you probably shouldn't have done them, but, you know, setting him up is probably not the good thing to do either. Um, aside from that, I think this race, you know, I think it's, I'm going to go into ratings right now, just for a second. I think it's, uh, Lee Neal, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if Morse won. He's got all the momentum, and as Logan said, polling um, in primaries can be, you know, a little difficult, and challengers tend to overperform, and, you know, that's a very possible outcome on Tuesday. See, I'm going to be the devil's advocate here and say it's likely Neal. Um, I've been talking to people who report in Western Massachusetts politics. This area of Massachusetts is relatively quiet. 
Um, I don't think the scandal itself, for those who don't know, um, the scandal is that uh, the, a college student or a group of college student publications reported that Mayor Morse had an inappropriate relationship with, I believe, a student while he was on the campaign trail. Uh, Morse denied it and they conducted an, an investigation. There was vindication as one, of the, as one of the college Democrats in Massachusetts said that it was a setup and wanted it for an internship. And regardless of the story itself, I think because it doesn't have an impact right now on, on Western Massachusetts in particular, especially in those quiet areas of the Berkshires, I think it's likely Neil. Um, you know, a five-point uh, deficit is, is pretty good for Morse, but it's still a five-point deficit. I, I can't see myself uh, imagining Morse winning. Now, he could win, and I, will, and I will gladly eat those words if that happens. But um, I, I just think that Neil is just too well-liked in Western Mass to be given up so easily. I think an interesting we saw this thing we saw this week was the endorsement from Governor Baker and the subsequent press conference they held together uh, announcing a new project, essentially, in Springfield. I think, you know, Neil's campaign said they didn't solicit the endorsement, but, you know, I highly doubt that. I don't think a Republican governor would jump into a primary um, if he didn't first speak to the candidate. Um, and I think that campaign um, has been really trying to shore up these, these, um, these supporters, um, especially maybe some uh, conservatives who might not otherwise turn out for the Democratic primary. I was, I was actually pretty surprised by that, too. I almost wonder if uh, it won't be conservatives that are turning out to support Reggie Neal, but rather moderate Democrats, because, uh, you know, I, we all know that conservatives aren't too fond of Charlie Baker. Uh, I would also put it as likely Neal. Uh, I, I agree with what a lot of Adam said. Uh, what Adam said. I remember we discussed a while ago uh, that I, we thought that this scandal, when it happened, would take Alex Morris off the map if Richie Neal retires and the seat is open next year. But um, I, I do want to say I definitely don't think that's the case. And if Alex, the case now. So if Alex Morris falls short this year, I definitely think that he'll be back. He'll be back in 2022 or 2024 whenever Richie Neal retires. Yeah, I, I agree with Jack uh, that Morris will probably be a favorite for the seat after um, after Neal retires. I'm going to agree with Jesse, though, that I think this is a lean Neal seat. Um, I think we saw, we saw in 2018 when Neal's primary challenger got, what, 30% of the vote while only raising something like $150,000. And now Morris has probably raised, what, at least 10 times that amount. Uh, so I think Morris is going to gain a lot of ground. We saw in a lot of primary challenges, like five or 10 points behind in polls before Election Day, that's not always a bad thing. I think we saw Cory Bush in Missouri was behind by something along those lines, and she won. I think we've seen this in a few other primaries as well. So I think there's a strong chance that uh, Morris wins, but I'd still consider Neil the favorite. Yeah, again, here's my issue about that as well. If this primary was being held in Massachusetts too, I would definitely put it as lean Neil, or I guess Lee McGovern, if that would be the case, but this is Massachusetts one. This is not a big college Democrat town area, uh, such as where Amherst is. Um, and, and I know Holyoke is there, but at the same time, Neil can easily offset this by really uh, 
turning out the Springfield machine that he has. And keep in mind, this is an area of Massachusetts that Joe Biden did incredibly well in uh, during the Massachusetts primary of, Mar- of Super Tuesday. Now, it's, it's, mu- it's a much different race, obviously. But at the same time, I think if Neil just turns out those moderate Democrats in the Berkshires and in Springfield, he's got a lock. And I think he'll do it. The, there is genuine support for Richie Neal. Springfield might be a little bit overestimated. I don't think they cast, I think they cast something like 15 to 20% of the primary votes in the first district. Um, so I think there's a lot of, lot of room for Morse to grow. But I think what will really be interesting to see is how the Hispanic community votes. I know Morse has a lot of, I think he's had a lot of the support from the Puerto Rican community. Uh, which would help him around Springfield, but it's going to be interesting to see the other other Hispanic communities, how they turn out. I have no doubt that Virginia will carry Springfield, but I don't think he's absolutely going to blow the barn doors off. Um, I Morris identified Springfield early on as the biggest hurdle that he'd need to overcome, and he, he has the endorsement of the president of the city council. So I, I definitely think that Neil is going to win it by a good margin, but I don't think it can save it, save Neil all by itself. And I want to just point out uh, a new ad that came out, I think yesterday, um, that was cut by a former uh, representative from Illinois, Luis Gutierrez, who talked about uh, Richie Neal and um, helping Puerto, R- Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. I think he's really trying to shore up the support within that community, um, just like these endorsements from the, go- the governor and otherwise um, in order to make sure that his base turns out on Tuesday or Casper Mill and ballots. All right. Well, as we move away from Massachusetts one, it's time to get into my favorite primary, uh, in my opinion, uh, and that's the Massachusetts four primary. We are now up to seven candidates running for Joe Kennedy, the third former district, as he is now challenging Senator Ed Markey. And because of that, we have a muddy field where the polling has shown that probably a candidate is going to win by less than 20%. It is probably the best example of how ranked choice voting can fix everything. But in terms of what I see going now, um, I think the favorite in this race is Jessie Mermel, former Brooklyn Select Board member. And I think she might have it, but obviously I still put this race as a toss-up. So uh, your guys' thoughts? I know we put this race as uh, Mermel was the favorite on our power rankings, um, but I think yeah, I, I know I think you wrote about it out of the big three of Mermel, Grossman, and Auchincloss, and I think it's going to be either Mermel or Grossman who are the favorites. I there's a lot of polling data that I feel like um, Grossman is the favorite in the polls, while Mermel is the favorite in endorsements, and Mermel has a lot of momentum lately. So I think momentum. Momentum, yes. Uh, I think it's going to be just to, to see how much Mermel is able to surge at the end. And if she's not able to surge as much as needed, I think it's going to be for Grossman. But I think it's a toss-up right now. One thing that I, I also think it's a toss-up, and I'd, I'd give the edge to Mermel for much of the same reasons that Logan just said. But one thing that I think has been really interested and something that not a lot of people have been talking about is how underwhelming Alan Casey's support has been. Um, 
he came in in the field uh, over a year ago. He has some stellar national endorsements and a couple of local ones, you know, the dean of the Senate, uh, a couple of state representatives. And, you know, early in the race, he was neck and neck with Jake Auchincloss in terms of fundraising. But I don't think I've seen a single poll with him above mid-single digits, other than uh, the one from Gravis yesterday that turned out not to be real. But oh um, <laughs> but I, I, I'm really just con- really confused as to why Alan Casey has struggled to catch fire with a pretty compelling resume and a lot of money and some good endorsements. Uh, I, I, I was, uh, you know, I talked about this with someone on Twitter the other day. I think, you know, maybe a service message isn't really something that resonated in the fourth district. I think people have said that they've seen signs of his in the ninth district. And, you know, there's a military base there. There's a naval academy there. I think his message would have really resonated in that district with so many retirees and such. I think this is the fourth district just wasn't his place. Uh, I don't know what you guys think about that. I also think the 4th District, uh, in terms of data, has shifted very much to the left. We saw this actually start in 2016, where Dover, uh, a a consistent Republican town, just, I don't want to use that word, that is so inappropriate, um, that has voted for Hillary Clinton. And I think that because that this district has shifted more farther left, not too left, not too left like it would vote for a song lucky, um, but just left enough to really put in a pragmatic progressive like Mermel or Grossman. And I think Jake Auchincloss, not Jake Auchincloss, I'll talk about him in a minute. Um, Alan Casey's message, well, good, is a bit repetitive. You know, he keeps talking about City Year, AmeriCorps. And if you move closer to someplace like the ninth, or maybe even, if you want to get technical, the seventh or the eighth, then that would work well because you have those cities like Boston and New Bedford, but here, not so much. Um, I do want to talk about how I think Jake Auchincloss is in a lot of trouble, not because of uh, his message or what he's talking about, but rather because he's stagnating. Um, You know, he's not getting as much attention as he did back in, back like last week. And he has still not even made it to the top of any polls. He's stuck in second. So your thoughts on Auchincloss? Uh, let's go with you, Jesse. Yeah, I think, you know, this might be tough on the Auchincloss campaign. And I think, um, you know, he still has a chance on Tuesday. But I think he kind of was overhyped. I think the media tends to gravitate towards these young, um, young, young candidates with uh, m- maybe military backgrounds. But, you know, sometimes they just don't resonate with voters. You know, I think the demographics for this district, um, you know, on paper might look good for Auchincloss. But as you said, it's been moving left ever since 2016, since 20, even since 2018. And I think his brand of liberalism, which is probably closer um, to uh, the Republicans than it is to Bernie Sanders. I think it's, um, I, I think it's, it might be a dead dead brand in this district. I think as well, what's going to be important here is the turnout, because there's going to be a lot of voters, and this is across the state as well, that come to vote for Marky or Kennedy, and then down ballot, they're not too sure of who to vote for. So I think it's going to be a lot of um, election day campaigning, and also just um, 
where where does Marky and Kennedy where are they using their resources to try and turn out? Is Kennedy going for New Inn and Brookline, or is he going for Fall River and Taunton? Um, and is Marky what, what's Marky doing at the same time? Those are I think are going to help. Uh, those could help any of the candidates in this election, but especially I think Auchincloss would do well with more Fall River votes, and also probably Auchincloss and Grossman would do better with more Newton votes. So it's a big question of where are we going to see turnout on election day? Right, but I also think that there there's also a problem um, in, in if if some if a candidate like Mermel or Grossman goes toe to toe with Auchincloss in the Fall River uh, area and its surrounding suburbs. That could be a problem for him, especially if he's not focusing too much on Newton and Brookline, as well as the middle part of the district, which is getting quite ignored by uh, Auchincloss and, and Mermel, for that matter. So we'll have to see what happens there. But in terms of down ballot, I see a lot of um, progressives choosing uh, Ed Markey with a combination of Jeff and Mermel uh, and, or, or Becky Grossman. I don't know how many Ed Markey voters we'll be seeing in this district, though. I'm sure it's going to go pretty hard for Joe Kennedy, being obviously the district that he represents currently. I'm not sure about that, though. I think um, there has been signs that Ed Markey might be making Joe Kennedy bleed in Newton and Brookline. Now, I do think Kennedy wins this district, but at a much smaller margin than I expect. I think Kennedy will be carrying Newton and Brookline. We saw this in, I think, at the presidential level, certainly it's been good for moderate can for more moderate candidates. I think, especially with the Kennedy name, it's going to be uh, probably, it's going to, it's going to be good for Kennedy, I think. Didn't, uh, didn't Elizabeth Warren win Brookline? Maybe Newton too? Uh, no, I want to yes, say she I won. I think so. Cam- I think she won Cambridge and Lexington. Warren, I think, won Brookline, and then a few precincts in Newton. Here, uh, I, yeah, a, I, lo- I looked it up. She carried Brookline, not Newton. A lot of Clinton, Clinton-Warren voters, I feel like, in my area, which I think would help someone like Mermel or maybe Grossman. Well, anyways. Um, you know, oh, no, go on, Jesse. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, I'm currently writing this article, and I think um, this the 4th District is really poised to elect a woman. I think there's a lot of interest in electing a female uh, Congress, female member of Congress. And, you know, the demographics for the primaries are good for that. I think maybe over 60% of voters could be women in this primary. Um, So we could be seeing our first Congresswoman from the fourth district. And if Julie Hall wins the, if Julie Hall wins the Republican nomination, when people ask us, hey, do you think a woman will win the fourth district? And we'll just all say, Yes, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you have to watch out for a write-in campaign from Vermin Supreme. Uh, he's from Newton, right? Um, I want to say he's from Western Mass. He's, he's from Gloucester, I know. He went to Gloucester uh, High School. Close enough, close enough. Well, anyways, uh, thank you all for joining us for our 15th episode of the CODCAP. And remember, we're going to be hosting our special uh, live coverage of the election on Tuesday night, 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., Hopefully not as long as that, but we will have to see what happens there. Thank you all for listening. I'm Adam Bass with Jesse Hahn, Jack Leary, and Logan Robb. Thank you, and have a good afternoon.